reading this morning is from the letter of Jude, verses 8 through 10. Yet in like manner, these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Let's pray. Uh, Father God, it's just such a great uh, pleasure and joy to come here um, and worship you together with the family of God. I just thank you for this uh, morning that we can come and worship. I just pray that you would be with Mark, um, that you would speak through him, um, that it would be your words through the Holy Spirit and not his. Lord, that we would just learn more about you this morning and grow closer to you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. As I'm listening to Luke read the scripture, this thought popped into my head. Who in their right mind would work through this on a Sunday morning? <laughs> and to be honest with you, when, when this was all set up, this wanting to go through Jude and through the summer, and uh, you read through it, you study it, and of course, initially when you read Scripture, of course, you're like, this is really good, and you're seeing this and that. And then when you get into the nitty-gritty of it, you get into the details of verses and passages, you begin to go, why did I pick this one? Because this is really hard. This is hard stuff. But that's also why we take our time working through it. That we want to know, this is the Word of God. We want to sit underneath this. We want to understand the whole counsel of God and not just the stuff that we like or not just the stuff that's easy for us to understand but to wrestle with these difficult topics and these difficult verses. What does he mean by this? What does he mean by that? So my hope today is that as we work through this, and if you walk away from this going, I am completely confused, that it actually will get you into the Word deeper. Um, if, if you really want to get more into this on Monday nights, uh, we actually spend the first part of it working through this going, I don't get this, or Mark, you're a heretic, and you know, those kinds of things, trying to work through passages. They've never actually said that, thank goodness. But wrestle with this. Wrestle, what is, what is Jude trying to get across? And so if we bring the first, well, the first 10 verses really is what we're looking at, and we bring it all together, this is in essence, from the beginning, this is what Jude is saying. He's he starts with contend for the faith. And this is his theme and focus throughout this entire letter. Fight. Fight for the truth of the grace of God that was handed down to you by Christ through the apostles. Fight for the truth. Fight against false teachings. For there are individuals within the church that Jude is writing to who had crept into the church unnoticed, who looked and played the part of a Christ follower, but over time their falsehoods began to surface. And Jude says that they 
perverted the grace of God into sensuality. In other words, they, they f- were saying and teaching, fulfill your own sinful and sexual desires, whatever God may say in his word, whatever the apostles teach, whatever even Christ says, no, do what you want, fulfill them. And that's how they perverted the grace of God, but they also denied and rejected Jesus Christ as their master and Lord. And there are consequences when we follow these types of false teachers. Jude says, remember the examples of faithlessness and its consequences that are found in Scripture itself. Don't take my word for it. Go back, he says. Go back. Do you remember these stories? Remember what happened to Israel in the wilderness? Remember the rebellion of the angels against God? Remember the self-gratification of Sodom and Gomorrah? Remember these and all the others that are found in Scripture and that their end was not joy, it was God's judgment and punishment of eternal fire. Remember these things. Remember the consequences because in like manner, Jude says, these false teachers are destined, destined for the same judgment. And their arrogance is going to lead to their destruction. These are strong words. They preach well. They don't necessarily keep an audience well. (laughs) But Jude, he says at the beginning, I wanted to talk to you gently, in essence. I wanted to spend my time here, but now I've got to spend it here. And I'm going to be very forceful with these false teachers and who they are, who you've allowed to continue within the church because the consequences for them, if you follow them, are the consequences for you. And Jude is striving to hit the point home with clarity, contend for the faith against those who reject the truth of God and his word, for false teaching has eternal consequences. So remember, Jude is speaking of teachers, those who who claim this authority to be able to teach. This is not someone off the street who's not a believer. This is not someone even within the congregation who maybe doesn't fully understand and grasp the commands of God and they're striving to understand it and striving to live for God through this and fighting sin like we all do on our own hearts. That's not who Jude is talking about. He's talking about teachers within the church, not just Elm Creek, but the church at large in our day. And our verses today well, let's just be honest, they're full of difficulties, <laughs> to say the least. And we're not going to be able to touch on all aspects of them. You're going to be like, but what about this? And it's like, hey, Monday night we use the word rabbit hole. That's a rabbit hole. That's a long rabbit hole. That takes a long conversation. And we don't have the time for that this morning. But again, study it for yourself. Meet together. Come on Monday night. Whatever have a conversation, let's go out for coffee and let's talk about it because these are very difficult verses. But my hope is that these verses will help us as the church, as God's people, to recognize false teaching that can easily creep into the midst of the church and its arrogant attitude toward the commands and desires of God. And so we're going to look at the focus of each of these verses, 
So you guys know how I feel about three-point sermons, but there's three verses and there's three focuses. And then we're going to wrestle with the implications of what that means for us today as God's people. So the first thing that Jude lays out is the actions of the false teachers. Their actions are similar to the examples that he just gave in the previous verses about the history of Israel. They were in the wilderness. They disobeyed God. They rejected God. They didn't believe him. Their unbelief in God then caused them to wander in the, de- in the desert for 40 years and God destroyed them. That, those are his words, not mine. He destroyed them in the wilderness, that, that generation. So a new generation who was faithful to him could raise, he would raise them up and they would go into the promised land. Or the rebellious angels who God set them a certain authority in a certain position and they didn't like it and so they rebelled against God and so they were cast out into darkness is the way that it is described. Or Sodom and Gomorrah and their lifestyle of sexual immorality and homosexuality and the repercussions of that was the destruction of those cities and God's judgment upon them. And so these false teachers, their actions are similar. There's not a one-to-one correlation, but there is similarity between his examples he gave and these false teachers because he says right at the beginning, yet in like manner these people, these false teachers, they also relying on their dreams. So he says in like manner, this These dreams of these false teachers is the source of their teaching. They're relying upon their own dreams, their own visions that they have received. And it seems that these teachers are proclaiming a divine word from the Lord, a special revelation from God that is above the revelation that was received by the apostles or even Jesus Christ himself. And this, this should have been the church's first clue with these false teachers that, okay, something's not quite right here. Those who proclaim a special word from God must be handled very carefully. Can God speak to his people through other believers? Can God bring someone to my mind that I need to go speak to to encourage or to call out in sin or whatever it may be absolutely but that does not make it a special revelation from god all teachings which claim to be speaking for god must be stood up against the actual revelation of god that is this his word had someone say, well, if I do this or I do that in the middle of a service, are you going to be upset? And I said, well, I'm going to take what you say and I'm going to put it against the word of God. And they said, well, isn't that Pharisaic of you? And I said, no, it's Berean. They had no idea what I was talking about. If you remember in scripture, the Bereans heard Paul, Paul, teach. And the Bereans go, is that really what the Bible says? And they pulled out the scrolls of the Old Testament and by and large, oh my goodness, Paul was right, and they believed. So the Bereans took what Paul said and said, yeah, I'm going to make sure you're right. What does God's word actually say? That's what we need to do. All teaching which claims to be speaking for God has to be stood up against the actual revelation of God and his word. And if it contradicts 
what is written here, it is not from God. It is not from God. These teachers in Jude's time are relying upon their dreams and their visions for their teaching, but when the actions of their lives are superimposed against God's word, it revealed that they are no different than the faithless who have come before. And their end is destruction. Relying upon their dreams, Jude says, they defile the flesh like the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. These false teachers are tolerating and encouraging sexual immorality. After all, why not sin all the more so that God's grace is seen and experienced all the more? Paul would say, absolutely not, because that is a perversion of the grace of God. They also reject authority. Literally, they reject lordship, and this is not earthly. Okay, so if, if you read Luther or Calvin, I don't agree with them on this. Can I say that? They're wrong, I'm saying in this, okay, because Looking at it, this is not earthly or church authority. It is the highest authority, the authority of Christ. Like the people of Israel and the rebellious angels, they reject God's authority over them and rebel against His desires and plans. They reject God and what He teaches. And simply put, they are rejecting the authority of Christ over them. And they're embracing themselves as their own authority to rule over them. That's, that's a very dangerous place to put yourself. And they also, he says, they blaspheme the glorious ones. Now, this is where the difficulties arise. If something's repeated in a passage multiple times, it's probably important, right? Blaspheming or slandering is said three times in these three verses. So this is important. We've got to try to figure this out. What does it mean that... They blaspheme or they slander the glorious ones. Well, these glorious ones are angels. And there's some debate as to exactly what Jude is meaning by this phrase, but as the actions of the false teachers are like the examples that Jude has just given, then let's go back to these examples. And it seems likely that this actually refers to the actions against the angels in Sodom. If you remember the story... God sent angels to warn Lot and his family of the coming destruction. They brought the message of God, flee because of the wickedness of this city. It will be completely destroyed. And if you're here, you will be destroyed with them. So run away, get out of here. And while they're in Lot's house, these angels are in Lot's house, the men of the city demanded that Lot hand over the angels so that they could rape them. In doing this, these men were slandering or blaspheming the glorious ones of God, more specifically their message of judgment that they were bringing. They were belittling it. The Jews understood the law of God and the commands of God as being mediated by angels or by God's messengers. And so to reject the law of God, to reject the message of God is to reject God himself. The false teachers of Jude's day are doing the same thing by rejecting and slandering the message of the grace of Jesus Christ that was given to them through the apostles. 
They're rejecting the message of the messenger of God and so blaspheming God, blaspheming the glorious ones, the ones that God appointed to bring the message. Now, again, this is difficult stuff to try to wrap our heads around, but Jude makes an effort to explain what he means by giving us a story that's familiar to them and not to us. Isn't that just wonderful? I just love when Scripture does that. So he gives this story that they're familiar to, or he restates this story they're familiar with about Michael and Satan, while at the same time he's exposing then through this the arrogance of these false teachers. So let's, let's deal with this. What is, what is, how does this story, what is this story, and then how does it then point out the arrogance of the false teachers? Well, this story is not found in Scripture. It's not in the Bible. It's actually found in a Jewish Jewish apocryphal work called the Assumption of Moses. And so another difficulty is to wrestle with why would Jude even quote such a book, especially if it's not considered part of the canon of Scripture. It's not considered to be the inspired and inerrant word of God, even for the Jews. Well, this story would be well known by the Jews, and who, and to whom Jude is writing, and so its familiar, familiarity would help them or help him to make the point that he's trying to make. And just as with Paul's quotation of famous poets, secular poets, if you want to use that phrase, this doesn't make the work or saying the Word of God. It doesn't mean because he quoted Aristotle or whatever that suddenly Aristotle must be the inerrant Word of God. No, Paul is using it, and here Jude is using this as an illustration, as an example, something that they are familiar with in order to make his point. And so what is Jude's point? Because that's really the crux of it, right? What is he trying to say? Well, let's get a bit of a background to, uh, to this story. Because, I'll let, I mean, I, if you're like me, I've never read The Assumption of Moses, so I have no idea what this is. So I had to look it up. And so to hear from theologian Peter Davids, this is kind of how he gives a summary of the story. So after the death of Moses, remember he, he goes to the promised land, but he can't go in and God puts him on a mountain or takes him up to a mountain and says, look at the promised land. And then what the Bible tells us is he died and nobody knows where his body is. And that's basically the, the end of it, of the story. Uh, but here, after the death of Moses, says Peter Davids, and I'm quoting from him, Michael, the archangel, came to bury his body the devil came and argued that the body should be given to him because Moses had been a murderer. If you remember, he murdered someone in Egypt. And thus, Moses did not deserve an honorable burial. And when Michael appealed to the judgment of God with the Lord rebuke you, the devil withdrew, knowing that God would decide in favor of Moses' honor and against Satan's slander of Moses. So that's the end quote. So when Satan argued that he should be given the body, Michael didn't take it upon himself to rebuke Satan. He left that judgment up to God, the Lord rebuke you, not Michael rebuke you. He did not presume, to use the words of of Jude, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment of his own, but instead said, the Lord rebuke you, appealing to the Lord's authority, not his authority. Now we're coming around to the real issue of these false teachers because this is in contrast with the actions of these false teachers who 
the authority, use the authority of their own dreams, and they slander and revile God by pronouncing their own judgments. They place themselves above the authority of God, where Michael, the highest authority of angel, refused to place himself above the authority of God. These false teachers arrogantly reject God's authority and the clear teachings of his word as given to them through the apostles, specifically grace, the grace of God, salvation by grace through faith. And they place themselves as sole judge and authority over the church. And in doing this, they slander God and his message of grace. So for example, God gives his people specific commands, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, specifically about his commands. Jesus in John 14 says, if you love me, you will keep my commands. That seems pretty straightforward, right? And the law is chock full of God telling his people that if they keep his commands, then he will bless them. He will give them life. But these false teachers are arrogantly proclaiming that God's people don't have to follow God's commands. That we can place ourselves upon the throne in which only God is worthy of sitting. And in essence, they're proclaiming themselves as God, which is, in biblical history, does not end very well for people who take that position. So you you get lost in the story, but Jude's point is to say, Michael would not even dare to presume to count, uh, cast judgment, even upon Satan himself. That's God's job. Who are these false teachers then to proclaim judgment, saying they are over God's commands, they are over his authority, when Michael himself wouldn't even do it? And so that leads us then to Jude's third point, and that that the consequences of this false teaching is severe. And he's, he's doing this. Eventually, he's going to get to the point by the end of his letter to say, but you're not this way. You're a belie- you are believers in Christ. Stand firm in the mercy of God. Stand firm in the grace of God. But he's got to get there. He's building this anticipation. He's building this, this argument against the false teachers. Because so easily our eyes can be kind of fogged over when we talk to them, especially if we're really good friends with them or we have a good relationship with them. And, and these false teachers were like, well, I mean, some of what they say is wrong, but a lot of it is good. The Jews like, no, 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 no. Listen to what they're saying. Listen to what they are saying. Is this the truth? And so he's building this argument to say you cannot deny that they are false. And if you follow them, these people, he calls them, these false teachers, if you follow them, you will follow in the same path. And he says these false teachers, in verse 10, they slander all that they do not understand. In other words, they do not understand the commands of God. They do not understand their right position and who is the true authority in their life. Their slander of what they don't understand, that is the truth of God, is contrasted by all that they understand instinctively. 
That is, their sinful sexual desires which come naturally and instinctively to us as human beings. By nature, we are children of wrath. By nature, we are sinful. If left to our own devices and we have no boundaries, what are we going to do? Whatever we want. We're going to let our basic instincts just run rampant. Because after all, the greatest thing in my life is to satisfy my own desires, which we all know doesn't work that way. It does not work that way. God says that those who practice sexual immorality, those who encourage and celebrate and refuse to fight against those natural sinful desires, those who teach this is a good thing for you to be sexually immoral, receive the judgment of eternal death and hell. He does not mince words. But these false teachers, they're embracing and celebrating and encouraging the church to do exactly opposite of what God commands. They say, be like the animals who were unthinking and act to satisfy your own basic instincts. Like us. You see how happy we are? But by this teaching... Jude says they will be destroyed, literally corrupted, ruined. And not necessarily just at the final day of Christ's judgment. Their life will be corrupted and they will be destroyed. What they are teaching will not bring life and joy and happiness and freedom. It will only bring the judgment of God. And while they teach this perverted grace, they slander the message of God's grace, leading others to the same destruction. Happy, right? Jesus, that's heavy. That's heavy. But sometimes we have to sit under the heaviness of Scripture. We have to let it soak in and say, this is, what God's, this is what God said. This is what God's word teaches us. This is what we as God's people, we need to hear these things. We need to sit under this teaching while at the same time as God's people not be overwhelmed and discouraged by it. Because remember what I said, this is about false teachers. This is not about the sin that you and I wrestle with and struggle with. This is not about the sin of the unbeliever. This is, a, this is an individual or a group of individuals who say, I am a Christian. By the way, you can ignore God. Now, they would never say that quite so bluntly, but that's what Judah say. They reject Christ, they defile the flesh, and they blaspheme God and his message. And so we need to sit under it. We need to hear it without allowing it to overcome us and to discourage us because our responsibility as God's people is not to change hearts. Our responsibility as God's people is not to shower flowers everywhere and make everybody happy. We're also not, it's not our job to then cut them at the legs and tell them how horrible they are. 
Our job is to contend for the faith. This is what Jude is saying. Fight for truth against those who would teach falsehood. And so the lesson for us in this passage is that as the church of God, we need to recognize false teachings. And we need to recognize the destructive power of those who refuse to humble themselves under the truth of God. Let me, let me say that again. The church of God, we need to recognize false teachings in our midst and the destructive power that those teachings bring and those who teach it when they refuse to humble themselves under the truth of God's word. So then you say, well, how do you know a false teacher? You know, a Sunday morning, Mark, you're the primary preacher. You're the one that we hear almost every single Sunday. And I can sit down with you, but what about false teachers like on, oh, say YouTube? Because nobody watches preachers on YouTube. Nobody watches teachers on YouTube or other. See, I'm, I'm, I guess I'm too old. I don't know what else there is out there. But on the internet, on that internet thing, the Wi-Fi stuff, right? I know what it is. I'm not that old. How do we recognize false teaching? We do it by superimposing everything that is taught to us against the word of God. Now, I don't know if you've ever thought, I've never done this before personally, but I've always thought about it. Have you ever seen those, like you see it in comics all the time, but you have two pictures that look exactly the same and they say, find 23 things that are different in this. Supposedly it's good for your brain. It just gets me frustrated, okay? Do you know one of the easiest way to find out what those 23 things are? Take one picture, superimpose it on the other, and then you see the difference between the two. Does that make sense? That's what we need to do with the Word of God, figuratively, and the teaching of teachers. What I say to you up here, don't take my word for it. Don't put me on that pedestal. Well, Mark's the sole authority. Heaven help you, <laughs> because I know my own heart, and I know that I'm human, and I'm striving to understand this as much as you are. And so take what I say, take what these false teachers or any teacher says, and superimpose it, impose it against the Word of God. What does God's Word say? And guess what that means? If we're going to be able to if we're going to be able to do that, to superimpose any teaching against the Word of God, then we need to know the Word of God. That means we need to get into our Bibles. Commentaries are great. Bible studies like videos and everything, and even books, are great. Use them all the time. Having conversations with one another is great. But all of that is under the umbrella of the Word of God. And so we need to get into the Word. If this is the only time, this moment right now, Sunday morning, between 10.30 and 11.30, if Mark doesn't go too long, 
is the only time you open your Bible, I am begging you, open it more because this is not enough. Now that doesn't mean you open up a passage with three verses and you spend all week studying it. If you do it, that's awesome. That's great. I am not going to discourage you to do that. But as I said before, the more we read the word, the more it sinks in, the more we can see. Remember I used the illustration a couple weeks ago, the the, the counterfeit money, when you hear, use real money every day over and over and over and over again, when a counterfeit comes in, you're more likely to see it because you're like, ah, it's not quite right. When we are in the Word of God, when we are studying it, when we're even using just the study notes of our Bible and we're striving, is this really what it says? And we're comparing it to other verses and looking at the references that are in the middle, which are there to help us to understand it better. When we're in the Word... And we're in the word consistently, not legalistically. Don't hear me say that. Don't, don't, don't just, you know, don't, don't hear me say that. I'm not putting a legalistic thing. I'm saying as a, if I want to know my wife better, I better spend time with my wife. If I marry her and then I ignore her for the rest of my life, do I know my wife? I don't. Do I have any relationship with anybody that I ignore? I do not. But the more time I spend with them, the more I know. This is God's revelation to us. And when we're in the Word and we're just reading it, even just, I don't want to say casually, but we're not doing deep study or anything, God uses even that. Now, do deep study, but use the Word. The Word of God in us changes us. It softens us. It humbles us. It teaches us. It encourages us. It reminds us who we are. It reminds us, in our society, where does our identity lie as God's people? It is in Him. And how do we know that? Because that's what this says. Not what this says. Not what this says. And not what the world says. When God says, this is who I am, this is His revelation of His character and His attributes, His commands, His desires, which are all good for his people. And we sit under it and we study it and we strive to be obedient to it. And when we fail, that we, we stand up again with the power, by the power of God and we, we strive to even be even better and to obey him, not out of legalism to try to earn God's love, but because he already loves us and because we already love him. We need to get into the word. We need to surround ourselves with people who love the word as much as we do. We need to allow the word of God and those around us to correct us, to encourage us, to exhort us to embrace the grace of God and strive to obey his commands. The judgment that Jude speaks of is not for us. It's not. If you are a child of God, you will not face that. But if you follow those who are false teachers, what Jude is saying is, you are in danger because you might not be a child of God like you think. These false teachers certainly think they're children of God. They think they've got, they've got the high road. They know. They have this special revelation that no one else has. 
But as a child of God who sits under the word of God, it sits under his authority, it sits under his grace, the judgment does not belong to us. Our job is to contend for the faith and tell the truth. If you hate God, if you despise him, if you despise his message, there is only one thing waiting for you at the end and it is his judgment. But if you love him, if you surrender to him, if you are saved by him and adopted by him as a his child with all the rights that come along with that of eternal life in his presence forever, judgment does not await. Joy awaits. Peace awaits. God himself awaits us. See, he's revealed himself to us through these words, and these words change eternal destination of souls. And that's what Jude is trying to do. Pointing them to God's word. You know the truth. I taught it to you. You heard it. And so stand firm, Elm Creek. Stand firm under the word of God. This This right here is the great sifter of truth for us. When we hear things, when we're taught things, when Mark says things from the front, open it up and go, is that really? Be a Berean. Test everything against the word of God. Humble ourselves underneath his truth. Submit to his lordship and authority and recognize and stand against those who defile the flesh, reject Christ, and slander the grace of God. It will not be popular, but the truth, as in politics, rarely makes you popular. Our job, our job is not to save people. Our job is not to change hearts. Our job is not even to convince people of the truth. When we contend for the faith, we just speak the truth. And we stand firm on that. Because all things in this world, including me and you, will end. It's like, if you put your, put your faith on me and what I say, you are building your house on quicksand. This never changes. Never changes. We may not fully understand it. That doesn't make it any less true. Stand, submit to, and be under the authority of God and His truth Speak the truth and stand against those false teachers who would place themselves above the authority of God. And then let God sort it out in the end. Father, I pray for strength for us as your people that we would recognize false teaching in our midst, that we would even recognize if 
if we who are teachers are standing before you and we're proclaiming falsehood, God, that you would expose that and that we would repent, that we would, we would stand under your authority and not our own authority. I pray as a church that we would contend for the truth of the gospel. That we would not make decisions based on popularity, based on even what will or will not offend. (laughs) That we would make decisions based off of your truth and that we would just speak and let you take care of the rest, Father. Strengthen us, God, to do this because it is so hard in our world to stand under your truth and to proclaim it. Help us not to be arrogant, but to be humble. We ask this, Father, in your precious name. Amen. Why don't you stand as we sing our final song together?